Welcome to The Screwball Story, a podcast that explores movies from one of classical Hollywood's most beloved genres, screwball comedy. I'm your host, Olympia Kiriakou, and each week I'll be taking you on a deep dive into one screwball classic. We've come to the end of season one of The Screwball Story. And before I dive into today's discussion, I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for listening. The feedback I've received has been overwhelming to say the least, and I've been really touched by all of your lovely tweets, comments, and messages. There's no better way to mark the end of this inaugural season than an episode dedicated to my favorite screwball gal, Carol Lombard. If you know me, you'll know that Carol is my all-time favorite actress and someone who I've spent over a decade researching and writing about. My guest this week is also a huge Lombard fan, and I can't think of anyone who would be better suited to join me in this discussion. Carla Valderrama is an author and film historian and the creator behind the popular Instagram account This Was Hollywood. Her first book, also called This Was Hollywood, is a compelling and extensively researched catalog of the lost history of the movies and I'll leave a link in the description so you can check out the book for yourself. Here's my conversation with Carla. Welcome, Carla. Thank you so much for joining me to discuss our favorite screwball queen, Carol Lombard. Oh my God, I'm so honored to be here and to talk about the queen, La Lombard, my guardian profane angel. (laughs) (laughs) I know I've told you this story privately, but um, I wanted to share with my listeners when I began researching Carol, like, oh my God, a decade, 15 years ago, whatever, there were very few online resources. And one of the incredible websites that I used to like learn so much about her was Carla's. And so like, I knew of Carla before we ever actually like became friends. So just think it's like, <laughs> you were like the perfect person to have on this show. It's um, funny too, because remember the first time I got in contact with you was when I saw your Instagram and I messaged you and I was like, Oh my God, I love your Instagram. It reminds me of when I ran this website about yes. Carol. <laughs> that was so funny, yeah. That website, yeah, that was, you know, I didn't finish college, you know, my parents, my father is still deep. He's finally forgiven me, I think. But, you know, I left two years in and Carol Lombard was my college education. Carol Lombard taught me everything that I know about researching, cold calling people, interviewing learning about the time, the place of Los Angeles, the studio system. It taught me, she taught me everything. I didn't even, my first book deal I got because of Carol Lombard in a very crazy, weird roundabout way. It was like, I had been researching Carol so much. And I had talked to this other author who had written a book about Lucille Ball. And she was like, oh, Carol Lombard, that's so cool. Long story short, that didn't happen. But many years later, when I started my Instagram, this was Hollywood, that same author who I hadn't heard from in many years messaged me she was now a senior editor editor at a publishing house and she was like oh i've been reading your captions for so long do you remember me and i was like oh my god yes and then i got a book deal from that person so it's so crazy everything is back to carol. <laughs> yeah. <That's> so cool <laughs> when did you first um become interested in her and like what first drew you to her 
So I had been interested in classic films probably since I was six and I had gotten into Marilyn Monroe and I loved her movies and I was that nerdy girl who would take her VHS tapes and just, you know, start taping all the TCM or AMC at that time, (laughs) all the movies and I would label them. And I, I was trying to think about this the other day. I think it was actually my dad who had said, come watch my man Godfrey. And you know, it's dad, so I'm a little apprehensive. This is a guy who maybe watched like Patton millions of times. And I, you know, I was like, I don't want to watch Patton again. And you know, I, you know, I have my, my tastes and he was like, no, it's William Powell's in it. He was in The Thin Man and I love The Thin Man. And so I watched my man Godfrey and I was like, damn, dad knows what's up. Like this girl, Carol, like this girl, Carol Lombard, she's so funny, like so funny and so, she just seems so cool and oh my God, I'm obsessed with her and I'm obsessed with this movie. Mm. And and I was, I mean, I'm pretty young at this time. Like I was very young. And as I, you know, and the one thing that I kind of struck me at the time was A, the little research that I had done about her, how well adjusted she was as a movie star. Yeah. Like she like the most normal person. And you know, not to say anything against Marilyn Monroe or Jean Harlow who I'd loved, but a lot of these people had a lot of problems and they, you know, they definitely, mm-hmm. you know, stardom didn't help them. And mm-hmm. Carol just seemed like somebody who was A, just very normal. Mm-hmm. B, she was someone who, although she took her craft seriously, she didn't seem to take herself seriously. Yeah. Uh, C, she was so in control, which was rare. Like she was a badass bitch. Like I was like, this is a woman who is freelancing during the studio system era. She's making more mm-hmm. money than the men. She's calling the shots. Yeah. And I think the other reason, more so than all three, was that she just seemed like someone who had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Fun with startup. And that's what attracted me to her was just this person who, although ultimately came, you know, her end was tragic. Her life just seemed so awesome and she seemed so fun. And she was really someone who was a good person for me to look up to, especially like I had you know, been in not so much such ideal situations. I was probably what would be considered a troubled youth. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, to have someone at like to look up to like that mm-hmm. was really helpful for me. That's a lot, a lot of the re- same reasons why I gravitated to her in the first place. She just seemed, she was a movie star, but she didn't let that get to her, go to her head. And she always seemed to have like perspective on her career. She was still ultimately always like true to herself. And I just, admire that so much about her and she was you know she stuck to her principles um and she seemed to have a lot of fun on on the ride right like she i there's this one quote from her where she said something to the effect of i love everything i'm doing i love you know life and it's just like yeah that's amazing well like i think i even told you i was like she was my life coach man it's like she had the whole thing exactly what you're talking about i mm-hmm. love everything i do even the things i'm obviously paraphrasing even the things that i don't like to do i i just do them and i get them out of the way and i move on and i'm like yes yeah. this is like it was like almost like a key, like this is how i want to live my life i want to be like this 1930s dame <laughs> like, yeah, mean, that's so funny that quote yeah that, that was life-changing for me fucking life-changing yeah. It's amazing. And she was able to accomplish so much, as you said, and to have, I mean, she started her career at 12 and a perfect crime and to have had a career for basically up to 12 years before she really got her like full big break with the film like 20th Century, you know, just shows her dedication to her craft and and her perseverance. 
the 20th century that I think I told you I was watching last night, totally forgot mm -hmm. this conversation. And I've seen that movie so many times. I remember when I watched that movie, I, I always, I, I always say this to my husband, I'm like, this movie was life changing, man. Mm -hmm. It was such a, because that's the movie that us Carol Lombard fans, we know that's Carol Lombard. That's for her beginning. And it's crazy. Yeah. Because in the movie, she's playing someone who comes, she's Mildred Plotka, and mm -hmm. she's coming, and John Bar and you know John Barrymore's character, he turns her into a star. But it's crazy because, you know, the backstory of the movie is that during the making of the film, she was still, you know, very, you know, in her, what I call, pre-Carol Lombard phase, yeah. very stiff, very proper. Her acting wasn't good, and it was, you know, a combination of Howard Hawks and John Barrymore being like, snap out of it, bitch, mm -hmm. let loose, come at it. So to see that in the movie and realize that that's what's going on behind yeah. the scenes like mind-blowing and it's also yeah. i'm really glad i had you talk like there's no one i have to talk to about this really <laughs> but it's like that movie i think the thing about like some for me that movie 20th century my man godfrey nothing sacred to mm -hmm. be or not to me those four movies for me are like the holy grail i love i i love me i love you across the table too but those four are like they're not just funny they're mm -hmm. also they so they're, they're funny because they're so true yeah. and they reveal so much about everything 20th century it's like the this is the the realities of show business and the mani the manias of you know broadway and new york stage mm -hmm. nothing secret is like the the media my yeah. man Godfrey is the desperation is the you know the depression and the realities of society and mm -hmm. fear not to be as like the freaking Nazis like and yeah. it's all about using humor and it's so smart you know so, so to, to see her in these movies it's just like these are films that hit she's so funny today man she just yeah. oh, she there's they're still so relevant and, and contemporary in a way and I think her acting is too and I think that's why for me 20th century is such like a departure in her style it's, it's what you said like something in her just clicked where you can sort of see a difference between her performance in that film and uh let's say her other pre-code films where you can tell she's trying very hard but it it shows in 20th century she really like lets loose and sort of becomes lily garland and it's just a remarkable performance yeah that's the thing too is a lot of times and this is true of stars today, you know, they're funny and they're funny kind of in the same way. Like there's certain people, like I love Chris Rock and mm -hmm. you know, half the thing with Chris Rock is it's the way he says certain words or breaks up certain things. The thing about Carol is that she's actually very different in all of her performances. Like you just mentioned, like Lily Garland. Lily Garland is very different than Hazel Flagg. Yeah. Super different than Irene, you know, super different than you know, Maria, Tura. Like they're all very different characters and for her to find the balance in like the humor and all. It, it, it's, it's, it's really shocking. It's even like, you know, Jack, like Jeff Benny and to be or not to be Jeff Benny's hilarious. Cause he's always Jack Benny. Carol yeah. Lombard, she is very different. She has a lot of range and you know, obviously yeah. we saw that with her serious movies and stuff too. What do you think of her chemistry with John Barrymore? Cause I know in that, as you were saying, he was getting frustrated at the beginning of production that he wasn't getting the performance that they were expecting out of her. And then I guess something just clicked, but they're just like are in like perfect harmony. And like, I know I, to me, that's his movie, but I think she like really holds her own. You know, it is her, his movie. And I love John Barrymore. I mean, the guy is a God. I mean, I watched mm. like Counselor Law and I'm like, this guy just blows me away. And he's already at this point, like this guy. And I say this as someone who has been sober for a long time and has struggled, you know, been struggled with alcoholism. This guy's in the clutches of alcoholism. Yeah. And it's impressive. Like, I mean, I couldn't like even go to school because I was drinking. This guy's out there like destroying the world. Like he's crushing it. He's not on cue cards yet. I don't think, I think this is still a few, a few years before the cue yeah. cards, but he's 
drunk. He's leaving the set. I think there's, you know, there's a story of them chasing him, finding him with brothels or whatever. Tell him, come on back on set, come on back on set. But he's amazing. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy is Carol Lombard is just as good. And it's not just my bias. Like I watched it with my husband and my husband is someone who's like, you consider like a comedy snob. And she, you know, he's like dying laughing at her. He's like, (laughs) I think the first time I showed him a Carol Lombard movie, he was like, I don't know how I never knew about this person. This person is not so funny, but she's the most modern person. You could put her in any movie from any era and she would fit in. And it's so true. Yeah. And she's, yeah, she's a giant, like, it's funny because both of their characters in the movie kind of mirror each other, you know? She's just like, fame, success, empty words. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, she's just so, yeah, she's really, she's she's incredible. And the thing about her, she's not afraid, she was never afraid to look bad, yeah. which I think is a big key. It's a lot of, you know, some of the, you know, in, in any movies, you know, some girl, some, there's, there's cutesy comedy and she's mm-hmm. not about that. She's like, let me just be, let me just go where the character goes. And Lily Garland, she's yeah. crazy as hell. <laughs> exactly. And that, you see that in all of the films that, I mean, really not with, to you not to be so much, but at least with My Man Godfrey and Nothing Sacred, she is not glamorous in all of the scenes and that's okay. And she's like, she will give her all to the part if it requires it. Yeah. And there also is this, you know, and I think that was the one thing, you know, when you watch the movies from before, there's a lot of, it's funny because I think in my man Godfrey, you know how she's posing at that party and in the corner. And yes. Like that's pose number thirty-five or whatever from <laughs> the from the class, and it's like that's what Carol Lombard was like before twentieth exactly. century. She was very posy. She was very like obviously she had taken some elocution classes or something, and so it's very yeah. you know very stiff. Her mm-hmm. body is very stiff. She's like, it's, it's, there's these gorgeous gowns and then there's a head and then there's her like, yeah. and now there's someone who's living and breathing and is super, you know, fully dimensional and just so, yeah. And I think even being younger and I don't know, maybe this is just my memory wasn't that good or I, you know, I, but I remember also being struck by how she was getting, was doing the funny stuff because I mm-hmm. think, and again, I could, I'm probably generalizing, but I think my experience of watching a lot of movies from the 90s, even the 80s, I didn't see a lot. I saw most of the men that were getting the funny lines. They were getting yeah. the joke. The girls were setting it up. But here it's, she was running it all. Like she mm-hmm. was the one so funny. She, like the other people, with the exception of, you know, John Barrymore in that movie, the other people, it's like, I don't care about you. Like, you know, <laughs> out of the way, let her do her thing, you know? She's just so, yeah, she's, it's, it's awesome to, it's awesome to watch. It never gets old. And I think that's why she came to personify the screwball genre because she was, she had that, she was like a ball of energy and she had that essence of screwball. And I mentioned this on my episode on My Man Godfrey, but the very first time the word screwball was ever used to describe these types of films was in a variety review about her performance in My Man Godfrey. So it's like she really is like the birth of the genre in that way. Yeah, it's crazy because it's funny when these people were making these movies, they weren't really thinking about it. You know, even stuff like film film noir, they weren't like, I'm making a film noir. They were like, we need to save money. Turn off the lights. Like, you know, (laughs) like let's let's do this on the cheap. And the stuff with like 20th century, like Howard Hawks wasn't like, I'm here to make a screwball comedy. You know, it was just, you had Ben Hecht who was crushing it on the script Mm -hmm. and you had these actors that were bringing it to life. And then it's like all these like kind of crazy you know, you know, stuff. And like My Man Godfrey, I mean, that's another, that's a movie that like, I remember, and I'm sure you know this, you obviously know this, but if you go see the Universal, they have like some of the scripts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And La Cava, he was making some of it up on the cuff, which was like, like, that's like pretty, 
like for the student system that, that's pretty cool <laughs> it is and that I mean that film really suffered because of you, you can't you can't tell but because of all of the financial issues that Universal had and their budget was reduced substantially but I mean they persevered and yeah and it's like, also crazy because I remember like when I first found out that like Carol and William were married and then they'd made my mind Godfrey as divorcees and I was like wow that is freaking cool like yeah what wow like she's it's that cool girl right and it's I mean they they seem to be better friends than you know romantic partners and I the best scene for me in that film is when they're washing dishes in the kitchen because it's just like this quiet moment in this otherwise very loud and energetic film and you just see the rapport between them it's just it's a beautiful scene and you can like see the love that they have for each other you know off screen it sort of permeates that scene it's really great because you know obviously she had made a movie with Clark Gable before mm -hmm. I don't, I don't honestly I would try to watch it. I think recently I think I was like I'm bored I gotta move on take <laughs> it too long to get you I was like wow but then you know watching her in William Powell and I love William Powell I just I think he's one of the greatest ever mm -hmm. and just seeing them both together it's really yeah they they're they're perfect they're they're awesome but she always with Fred McMurray always said when they made hands across the table that she was a very generous partner. There's a lot of people in the business that are very concerned about themselves. And Carol, I think, was very quick to realize that she's only going to look as good as her partners look at. So, you know, she would help yeah. She would help Fred McMurray. She would help people. She would give. And I think it, it, it's awesome. There's not a lot of people. I mean, off the top of my head, I always think of, you know, Gene Kelly. And that scene in Singing in the Rain when Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds are both coming down the stairs. And Debbie Reynolds had just recently learned dancing, but you'd never know. And it's because yeah. Donald and Gene are there to make her look, to make it all look good, you know, yeah. not to make it about themselves. And there's very yeah. few moments. And I feel like that one with Singing in the Rain always sticks out to me. And also with Fred McMurray and Carol mm -hmm. Lombard, you know, Hands Across the Table always sticks out and what she did for him in that movie. Absolutely. She was a very generous person off screen in her private life. But also, yeah, I mean, I can't really think of very many disparaging things I've ever read about her because she was always ready to give to people and help people along the way. Um, nobody in, like, that I spoke to, nobody that I spoke to in the years that I like researched her and everyone that I knew her, nobody had a single bad thing to say about her. And yeah. I was so it's rare. I don't know. Like, that's pretty awesome that she's able to live her life that way and get as far as she did because there is this idea in show business that you got to be ruthless to get it to the top. Mm -hmm. You got to cut throw. You got to, you know, you got to make sacrifice. And she's, the, you know, the exception. She's like, exactly. I'm going to make my own rules and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to have fun while doing it. And it's just, it's very refreshing. It's very rare and very refreshing to see. It is. Do you have a favorite Lombard co-star? I know you've mentioned William Powell, but is he your favorite or do you have somebody else? I mean, I love John Barrymore. I don't know if anyone's going to top John Barrymore. Because yeah. that, that man, and I remember watching a movie with him. And this was Midnight. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Claudette. I Colbert. love Midnight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So you know that he's in cue card mode there. Yeah. He's crushing it. I don't know. It's so hard. The only other person in the history of the biz that I can compare to is probably, I know Matthew Perry said that, he doesn't remember like almost every season except one on Friends because he was like so messed up and on drugs. I mean, I again, as somebody who's like not had a great past, like thing, I can't imagine what it would have been like to even see that guy on the stage in person. Oh, it must have been remarkable. I know. I his performance in 20th Century, it's just, it's crazy in the best possible way, and it's just he gives 
everything to that role and it's just still so layered and also like I feel like this time watching every time I watch it I discover something new and this time I was like dude Walter Connolly is really funny in that movie too. he is the supporting <laughs> cast of that film it's there I mean Roscoe Carnes too oh, they're cool. they're great yeah Walter Connolly said this one I totally and this is where it's like I love Ben Hack and stuff but there was this one line I think it's when they disconnect the phone the telephones and she you know the, they disconnect she finds out that Barry Moore's been like, you know, tapping her phone line. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh he, and then she's run off and he's like, oh, oh, and Walter Connell, he's like, just say the word OJ and I'll kill myself. And I'm like, oh my God. I love that line. <laughs> it's so good. No, I love, yeah, I love it. I love Ben Hecht. I I don't know if I told you this. I tell you about my conversation with Bud Schulberg for nothing sacred. Mm, I don't think so. And this is where it's it's hilarious because today I'm afraid I get nervous cold calling people. <laughs> They're just normal people. And I forget that, you know, many years ago, I was this little girl that was bugging the hell out of Bud Schulberg to answer the phone with, you know, and he, you know, one day he's like, okay, I'm going to talk to her. And he talked to me. We spoke about Nothing Sacred. And he said, because he and Ring Lardner had rewritten the ending to Nothing mm. Sacred. I don't know what the, I can't remember what the original ending was. But anyway, David O'Sullivan called him into his office. And this is according to Bud Schulberg. They, um, he was on a bunch of speed at the time. <laughs> called him to his office. And he said, okay, uh, he told them both. He goes, I right, listen, I need you guys to rewrite a new ending for this movie. And I'm going to need it on my desk in an hour. They got an hour. And so he, he said, in and ring, they won. They locked themselves up and they wrote the ending in an hour. And that was it. They were like, oh you know, God. it wasn't. I mean, when he was telling me this, I was like dying because it was like manic David O'Sullivan just saying like, you know, <laughs> no intro, nothing, just handing him a script, right? Rewrite the ending. And but it's like, that was the studio system. It was like, yeah. that, was, wow, that, was that was David O'Sullivan. That guy was a lunatic, uh, but you know, great. You just Man had to do it. Yeah. That's yeah. It was so, it was so crazy um, to, uh, to hear that kind of, mania and then um i'm like now my mind's kind of fleeting i'm starting to think of something else that i wait did i talk about the flying assholes club before when we talked no <laughs> oh my god so okay i think it was arlene oh my god what's the name of her friend arlene judge am i crazy arlene mm -hmm. judge i had to look through my phone so she had, okay arlene judge I, I spoke to arlene's son and he was like did you ever hear about um the flying it was like a flying assholes club and basically it was this this sign you would take your hand and you would put your middle finger on your thumb and you would kind of make it like a flying thing in the air and she and Carol Lombard and Arlene it was like their secret society with the crew members and they would go around being like we're the flying assholes or something and I was like <laughs> it's just such a weird thing that That's I was funny. like I was like oh I have to tell somebody that and I don't think I've ever since <laughs> he told me this he must have told me this in like 2006 or something I don't think I've ever shared that with anybody <laughs> It was like the Flying Assholes, Association of Flying Assholes or something like that. Anyways, this is my- That sounds very Carol. That's like- Yeah, it was so funny. There were a lot of like stories like that from people. Anyways, <laughs> listeners, I had to have her cut because it's some sensitive information, but everything leads back to Carol Lombard. And I know you, <laughs> Olympia, with your research for your new book, Carol's been useful for you too, right? Like finding stuff. Editing Olympia here. I am just jumping in to clarify. The book that we're referring to here in this part of the conversation is my second research project about the actress Virginia Gray. Yeah, I mean, every they have the shared connection with Clark Gable. So, I mean, I, I, I think I told you the day it happened um, when I was at the Margaret Herrick 
and I found an envelope that said gray fishing on it and with a photograph inside and then I open it up and it's a picture of Carol. And I thought, well, this is so eerie and <laughs> like of all the people for me to find. But yeah, they have just so many connections. And speaking of My Man Godfrey, not to get too off topic, but Virginia actually wanted to do a remake of My Man Godfrey in I think the 50s, I want to say. It was wow. supposed to be called like Man for Hire, but that didn't obviously materialize. Although we did get that um, June Allison, uh, David Niven remake, which is but just- never I, I have yet to watch that movie. I refuse to watch that or Don't. the not to be with the Mel Brooks movie. Even though I love Mel Brooks, I just, I can't. <laughs> that one's not, a, that one's pretty good for a remake, but no, the, yeah, the remake of My Man Godfrey is just, I think a crime. <laughs> There's some movies that shouldn't be remade. Yeah, and there's other movies like Ocean's Eleven. That's an example of a great remake. I'll gladly exactly. watch the new one over the old one any day. And I love Dino and you know the Rat Pack, but it's a lot better. No, it's really weird. It's also I think that's it's a it's a little hard for people to understand. I think today, but how small the world was mm -hmm. then in terms of the colony and the film business, the studio system, because yeah. even what I'm doing now, everybody is very connected. Everybody mm -hmm. kind of knew everybody. There's a lot of connections to be found. And today, everything is just so, there's something to be said about the studio system. And obviously has a lot of its faults and stuff, but it was a way mm -hmm. to make a lot of great movies efficiently. Today it takes, yeah. I mean, for example, that Pinocchio movie that Guillermo del Toro mm -hmm. uh, came out with in 2023, mm -hmm. my friend, had been, you know, had emails about working on this movie going back to 2009. That's so crazy. That's a movie. Like that's yeah. not long to make a movie nowadays because you have to yeah. find financers and writer and to have it all there. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, like people always like to say like, oh, you know, the star, you know, they don't, it's like they don't make them like they used to, the movie stars. And it's like, yeah, because they don't make them. They yeah. don't make movie stars. They're not, you know, um, Paramount's not signing up uh, Timothy Chalamet and paying yeah. him money to train. You know, not Timothy. Timothy Chalamet has to go learn his own craft on his own time, and <laughs> Timothy Chalamet has to go out there and be discovered. And Timothy, he's got to make his own stuff. And it's like it's a different um, world now with social media, different stuff. So it's a lot. Things are a lot farther. It's a lot harder. And it's like in Carol's time, the world was like smaller, and the movies they meant a lot mm -hmm. to the watch them at the time way more than can we can ever imagine to be honest absolutely and to that point i think and i know you and i have talked about this before but for someone like carol who is so closely associated with a genre that was no coincidence like her her star persona was molded a certain way to fit um you know her her screen characters so there was this like symbiotic relationship and carol in the let's say post 1934 through to the you know mid to late 1930s she was sort of seen as almost like an extension of her film characters to like make them more authentic and i know again as i said we've talked about this but do you really think there were as many similarities between carol lombard the person and the screen image or do you think that was sort of a exaggerated connection I think I remember I asked you this too. We met yeah. together. I remember I asked you because you know at a certain point when you're doing all this research and you do the fan magazines and you realize okay, let me check that. And you know there are for whatever was printed in the fan magazine. I will say like there's some people like Gladys Hall. Her papers are there and she is taking notes and transcribing like the the actual interview with the person. Mm -hmm. documentation, but a lot of it was you know looked over, glossed over, fabricated by like the studio or whatever. Yeah. 
I think for me, it was pretty similar, maybe only because, like I said, there you had someone like Arlene Judge's son who shared me the mm-hmm. flying asshole things, you know, talking to like Myron Sel, uh, my, Myron Sel, Myron Davis, who took a lot of photos of her, yes, got to yes. meet him in person, talking to other people. She did have they they've you know you know shared that stuff. I think that the one thing that was left out though was that she was a human being and that she did have you know she did have some. She had feelings. She had some personal stuff. There's a sadness yeah. from her father mm-hmm. uh, and what had happened. You know, I know I interviewed her. Um, her nephew, you know, told yeah. me that he would, like, pull out a gun and threaten, like, try to shoot his family. Like, they would have to, like, hide. Yeah, I mean, the re- like, I think it kind of is glossed over a little bit, but, like, his accident definitely changed his um, mental state, and that obviously infected the whole family dynamics. So I think it wasn't necessarily they're just getting divorced. It was, I think, Bess trying to take her kids away from a very toxic Traumatic. situation. Yeah, and it really, that was another thing, because I was really young at this time, and I, this is, again, me learning how to do stuff, me learning, well, I remember, well, I want to know how did her father die, so I had to mm-hmm. learn to go to get, how to pull a death certificate, something that's very useful today, and, you know, seeing the causes of death, and seeing the stuff, like, on his, like, on the brain, and seeing all these things, mm-hmm. um, and then hearing that story from her nephew, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, wow, when he was, like, crushed by an elevator, like, this is what, they at the time i remember reading this like you know because they were in the society papers they're like oh he was you know back to normal out riding his carriage yeah. and it's like yeah the true effects have not like set in yet it's like yeah. the market, it's they a- kind of put it down to like oh he had headaches but i mean that's really <laughs> downplaying it significantly like he's a different person pretty much after that so it definitely affected the kids it's, like, it's frightening also i mean you know obviously you know she had Mom, Beth had uh, Beth had some like connections to uh, who was it? Is it the Kimberly Crest, the Kimberly family, right? Uh, I think it's so. It's a family in Redlands that has like mm. the big. I think they invented Kleenex. I'm not even joking. It's like something. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're a rich family. Yeah, relatives. she comes from a wealthy family. Yeah. No, they were distant relatives, and they had you know it's just. Cr- and I remember contacting them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we've got pictures of Carol when she was little," and I was like, <laughs> "What?" Um, you know, but still, you know, she's still sing a single mom, and she's yeah. bringing her here to. LA it's like you know this is a big deal for mm-hmm. for somebody you know to do with her children and whatnot even if she did have some means or whatnot but yeah yeah I think Carol had that and I think later with the kids like trying to have kids and stuff I think yeah. that was left out. obviously they're not going to talk about that and mm-hmm. but I think yeah I think her persona my instinct was that it was pretty cool it was it was pretty similar just only only it's like I don't I can't imagine Carol buying a, having a bunch of pets just for a magazine like that's a lot to do. Commit to as someone with two dogs. Big big commitment to the bet. Yeah. Yeah, and it is. It's like, and I think, but I do think that that played a part, some part, and I say some part, in why her transition to more serious films wasn't as well received. Mm-hmm. I will say, in a film like In Name Only. Yeah, and I watched this with my husband too, just because I was like, "Am I going crazy?" <laughs> and a lot of times with with me, like I get very into something and I have to step away and re and I always get nervous rewatching, you know. But rewatching in name only after many years, I could say that Kay Francis was the role for that for me. The one hundred percent. And I thought that Carol, although her performance was very good and very so very modern, I thought that the character wasn't that interesting and yeah. not that 
complex. And I would, and it's like, I would have liked to see Carol play the Kay Francis role. It is Kay Francis's movie. She plays the perfect bitch. And I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, when Carol wanted to transition away from Screwball, I think a lot of it, people say it was because she wanted an Oscar. And that's, that wasn't her personality at all. No. It was, she wanted no. to, she was getting typecast and she wanted to, I think, get away from Screwball and prove that she was just more than a Screwball comedian and to challenge herself. And yeah, I agree with you. I think some of the films are better than others. I'm not really a fan of vigil in the night that much i think there are good parts of it but um i think See, i gotta rewatch that because back <laughs> that was like i was like wait maybe this one is is the better one of all if i remember thinking maybe vigil in the night is the better one uh made for each other i remember i was like oh the never-ending drama between her yeah. and, Jim. <laughs> and at the end where there's like a they're flying the serum <laughs> through the storm <laughs> oh wait there's also there i, I love for guys so they i'm sure they, they knew what they wanted George, uh, George, Charles Lawton plays an Italian. <laughs> yeah, it's very hammy. Yeah, that, very. I. It's his performance like kind of. Yeah, it's it takes you out of the film almost. I think everyone else is really good, and they kind of anchor the story. But yeah, Charles Lawton, it's almost like a caricature kind of a performance. It's funny to me that people think that in general, and I and I know Carol wasn't trying to get an Oscar, but you know, a lot of times people they always say, "Oh, the mark of a really great actor is." you know, drama, and it, it, that's actually not true. It's very, very hard. Comedy is, everyone will tell you comedy is harder. Exactly. And it's very hard to play, like, you know, pe people say, oh, Marilyn just played dumb blondes. It's like, do you know how hard it is to play someone dumb and make it funny? I can think of yeah. two people, Marilyn Monroe and uh, Joey Tribbiani on Friends. That's it. Like, <laughs> it's very hard to make that, to make yeah. dumb funny. It's really very, very hard. And so yeah. many people try to do it. And for Carol, and I think the thing with Carol's screwball characters were, they weren't just like funny. They were very complex and different. And maybe mm -hmm. at that point she's freelancing and maybe that, and like looking back, maybe that was like her, that was like her one thing she wasn't that good at was picking a good drama. Like maybe yeah. she, wasn't, that wasn't, she wasn't good at that. Like no, sure, her picks for comedy with the exception of, what was it Fools for Scandal or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My mom was like, she texted me the other day. She's oh, I can't love our movie design. It's called Fools for Scandal. Oh, I can't wait to watch. I was like, miss it. <laughs> Said, mom don't mom don't she's like well it seems fine and later she's like oh you were right this is terrible it is i uh that's the worst carol lombard movie i think it just like it's a screwball comedy that doesn't know how to do screwball and it's just like it takes all these like genre traits and just like throws them at the wall and it's like i don't know, I don't know hard. Comedy, yeah. is hard. comedy is hard i know and carol made it look easy and so i guess i understand why she then would return to comedy you know with mr and mrs smith and then of course to be or not to be mr. And mrs smith i love yeah. it and i also this whole revision of hitchcock who saying, oh i only made it because carol as a favorite carol lombard that is bullshit because i remember yeah. way back in the day i found an article in which he, before he'd even come to america he's like i want to come to america and i want to make a light comedy with carol lombard he's like mm -hmm. he, loved, he pursued her and he pursued the entire project. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm not sure why he later sort of distanced himself from it. Because, I mean, it's a, it's not my favorite Lombard movie, but I think it's cute enough. I would have preferred if there was a different leading man, because I don't know if her chemistry with Robert Montgomery's that great. I would have loved maybe like a Melvin Douglas. Oh, I love Melvin Douglas, but honestly, I really do like Robert Montgomery. Do you? <laughs> I think I remember, I think for me, the, the I, I think I, the one part I always rewind is when she's like, oh, if you, when they find out that they're not really married, she's like, oh, would you do it all over again? And he's just like, honestly, no. <laughs> I, like, oh I love that scene, yeah. 
And He's like, so good. And then her feet, it cuts to her feet and they like slide down his, uh, his calves. They're yeah. Like now that I'm thinking about it, the one thing that that's always the case for me and I always, I always go back to this. It's like, I wish that in Love Before Breakfast that, you know, Cesar Romero and her would have gotten together and that he would have been mm. the Cesar Romero is somebody who I am just like, this guy is so funny. He's amazing. Yeah. He never gets the girl in the movies, but I he's, know. he's so funny. Like he, there, that guy is, he was very underused in the studio. Yeah. Like, hilarious. And I love their friendship in real life. You know, he took her out to, was the Mayfair ball? Yes. Yes. The, the Norma Zero wore the red dress. I know. Uh, how dare party. she? <laughs> I know. Is there another genre that you would have liked to have seen her pursue? Yes. Horror. <laughs> horror. horror. Yeah. I know it's supernatural, whatever, but that one, honestly, I should probably rewatch that. I remember the time thing. It's still, it's camp, right? It's very campy. Very, yeah. That one I would have been really kind of crazy to kind of see her, or even into like, see her into a, in the future, into like a, you know, a, a, you know, a Hitchcock, into like a real like, mm -hmm crazy suspenseful Hitchcock stuff yeah uh, I at first I think and I think I think Carol would have gone uh, gone in the route of Ida Lupino I could have seen her movie directing she directed she's the only person to direct the footage of Hitchcock as you know during yeah. Smith and of course she's Carol she makes it a joke she makes him do it <laughs> many times many times and I I think that she really did have she had very good taste she was very with the exception of obviously the dramas, I could just so see her wanting to get behind the camera. She was brilliant. Yeah. She was very good with the contracts. If you look at the contracts that she signed, yeah. which I that because we've we both have seen the the records. When you look at these records, you instantly are struck by the fact that she is a woman and she's getting profits from movies. That's something yeah. that not until very recently, like actually in history, we're men and women getting like profit sharing most of the actors weren't getting it it was just the producers exactly. to get that is wild she also had i you know i i could i hope my memory is not wrong here but i think she also had clauses that she couldn't be loaned out yeah and she had and even things about like star perks like she had you know travis banton uh was costume designer of choice on some of her earlier Can someone write a book on travis banton listeners please yeah. i beg you there is nothing he is so forgotten he is mm. so, oh my, honestly, his designs are amazing. And I know, and I don't know how much is true. There's always, you know, I'm sure you heard the rumors of the Edith head work for him. And that he, yeah. the guy was an alcoholic. He drank, you know, he lost his job on his own. I just want to know, I just like want to know so much about him. And there's very little that I've found about him. Well, he was so formative to that Paramount fashion in the 30s. So it's- Dietrich! Her, yeah. her first lumbar club. He was exactly. He understood their individual styles, and he yet there was like this authorial connection between them all. He had a very sleek, yeah. beautiful style, and yet he still made them all individuals. That's something. That's a real art too, because and I love yeah. Edith Head too. But a lot of the, you know the Edith Head, like for me at least, when I think of Edith Head, I think of a lot of like the Hitchcock blondes, like that you know that attire and and, and Banton. He's just like. He's like, give me a figure. I'm gonna drape this clothes on you. It's like he really yeah. made it about. It's not even the clothes. It's the person. Because a lot of times, she, you know, Carol in some of those terrible movies, she's wearing <laughs> these gorgeous gowns, but she's moving. Was it Sinners in the Sun? Am I crazy? Was it that movie? There's yeah. A lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, some. There's yeah, yeah. He's crazy. But her, <laughs> yeah, her outfits, and I was like, wow, she looks. She, she's like, she's a. 
she looks like a movie like she looks like a movie yeah. star have the clothes to have the people just kind of sparkle and you're and the clothes are just like your second thought that's like real exactly it's artistry exactly and tying that into her final film and the dress that she wears in To Be or Not To Be, the the like satiny kind of form-fitted gown with the fur trim, it's just, it's so iconic to that character. And she uses that to lure basically all the men into her orbit. It's, it's a powerful way to use a costume. Yeah, I'm always struck by that costume and also her, her delicacy. And I mm. feel like in other movies I had, you know, she's just running loose and in that movie, she's so controlled. Yeah. So delicate in her speech and her mannerism, you know, when Robert Stack comes behind the scene and, you know, she's had that conversation with him and the way she speaks about, and he's talking about dropping tons of whatever dynamite. <laughs> really, like the way her, the way that her move, her very controlled, subtle, delicate movements, I remember just being like, wow, she's a genius. Like she's really yeah. she's playing her, again, she's playing her comedy in a totally different way and she's still hitting it out of the park. She was a, mm. amazing. And I think, did Jack Benny get top billing for that movie or not? I can't remember. I, I can't mm. remember if she just said that she was okay with it or I, I can't remember. I think they share the title card, but I think yeah, but that was first. because yeah. that was because of her because she. Yeah. We're talking. That's a. Oh no! Yeah. Actually, I think. Sorry. No, I think he was first. Yeah. 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 I think because she. I remember reading somewhere that she was like, "No, he has the bigger part. He should have yeah. it." And I was like, "That's that's again. She's a movie star. She's huge. She's making most money. She's the mm -hmm. people coming to see her." And she again is like, just she's like, "No, I'm gonna." Very few people did that. Very few people yeah. would, 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 would very few people would have agents that would let them do it. But she, yeah. she kind of ruled her own agent. So you know, oh, yeah. it, it's a selfless gesture. And I agree with you. I think that performance. There's such a confidence and maturity to it that you didn't really. See. You saw that in moments throughout her career, but that performance is so consistently confident. And I think she really suited Ernst Lubitsch's brand of comedy. And the Lubitsch she, touch, yeah. she had it. Yeah, I wish she had made more Lubitsch movies. That's the truth. I, I, I love Lubitsch. Mm. I love Billy Wilder. Maybe to see her in a Billy Wilder movie would, would have been awesome. You yeah. know, actually, to see her in a role like Double Indemnity with her boyfriend McMurray, who was mm -hmm. you know, that would be really awesome because that's a role like I, I would just love to see her be bad, <laughs> like just be like in a yeah. way, you know very good and compelling. But no, I really think, and I really think she would have moved into a into a filmmaker like an ideal piano I, I could see mm -hmm. her doing that in the studio system and she also would work she works what she was able to do was i don't know if feminism is the right way to to, to describe it i i think so she was very she loved women her belief was like mm -hmm. you know women are just as women are awesome she yeah. definitely had that belief she was not going to be this like the damsel in distress in her private life you know but yeah. she had that belief but she also had the she also had this rare trait and not many people have that but a lot of men liked and respected her and you have somebody you know mm -hmm. like someone who was really strong like betty davis who i love i oh my god i you know i <laughs> praise the lord betty davis <laughs> but she was very much i'm a like she was like i'm gonna fuck you up i'm gonna fuck you up like you know jack warner hated her like he you know olivia it, it, it takes a delicate woman like olivia de Havilland who brought jo you know jack warner to his knees because betty davis couldn't do it and carol yeah. Lombard was um i guess she borrowed the title of a movie she was going to be she was a smiler with a knife like yeah <laughs> but she, she had a delicate touch about it but she meant business she was smart she meant business yeah. and she then really respected her because of it and because of her mm. mind to see that's why it's always interesting like her pairing with gable because mm -hmm. gable was always this kind of guy his persona was always like 
man, I don't want to be here, but okay. Even though we know he wanted to be here, he went through a lot of hoops and struggles to get there. Yeah. You know, married some women, had some relationships with older women to get where he was. Yeah. And he got here and he was just kind of like, you know, kind of like grumpy over here and mm-hmm. and and very much whatever. And Carol Lombard, she was just so in control of everything that she was doing. And I sense that Clark Gable never, he didn't really have that in his life. No. Yeah, I think she brought him a certain sense of stability that he was lacking and I don't think he necessarily appreciated that quite enough until she was gone which is kind of sad yeah that was the one thing about Carol's career and again some of it is what part is fat and some of it's not just fat magazines and whatever some of it is I was like it's not like she was like changing who she was to like mm-hmm. people, but she did take on a lot of his interests she did do yeah. a lot of things to have them communicate and I remember as a you know fresh faced little researcher out there being like now what's you changing for this man you know like <laughs> come on over here and i think you know she was a trying to be a good partner and trying to do yeah. someone that she cared about and as someone mm-hmm. you know who's married i'm very headstrong i'm very like get out of my way and sometimes <laughs> i i could use a little bit of carol lombard to be like you know what this is about my husband playing golf right now let me respect <laughs> You know, but you know, I, I, that but that's an it's such an interesting her relationship with Gable is such an interesting time in I, I feel like as someone who's setting her in, in some yeah. of the changes that she was making and she was definitely at the time of her death beginning this new phase and I don't know what that would have looked like mm-hmm. would have eventually evolved children or would like they adopted I don't know yeah but she was in a different zone for sure I mean the motherhood thing I think definitely as we said before was one of the things that really was very painful for her and you know you you don't know how they would have dealt with it had she lived I mean I don't even know would they have stayed married because I don't know if she was perfectly happy so I I mean that the mythology of their relationship is so overblown I think and you have to weed through a lot of the discourse um I mean they're they were in love of course but I mean they're just an average couple they had their problems too so I think People need to sometimes recognize that. Yeah, and I feel like you probably come where I come. I because there's two sides of this. There's people who say they were this perfect, amazing couple and so in love. And there's people like Clark Gable is a piece of shit, having an affair with Lana Turner, blah blah blah. And I'm like, I think the truth was somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And again, as I don't feed into the Lana Turner stuff only because I don't I'm, either. Very, I'm very fact based, and yeah. I'll say something to you know. I know I said this to you before. The one thing about Lana Turner is. My, in my experience is that she was very truthful about a lot of things that were very unflattering and painful to her in her mm-hmm. life, you know, talking about abortions, talking about cheating on people. She even described, you know, when her father, you know, Lantern's father was murdered and she, you know, described what had happened. And I actually found the police records and everything about what had happened. Mm-hmm. She probably hadn't even seen the police records from when she was younger because they'd just been yeah. released. And it was to the T what she said. Mm. There was no exaggeration. There was no false memory. There was no, it was to the teeth. Yeah. Now, would, now if I was Lana Turner, would I want to say that I was having an affair with a guy that, you know, his wife, you know, died because she was <laughs> rushing to me? No, yeah. I wouldn't want to admit to that. But I also, there's no, there's, there's precedent for the fact that there wasn't an, that there, that Lana Turner says there's not an affair. There's, yeah. I don't see any, any basis to support otherwise and so i have chosen now i i'm not it was my choice to be like i'm don't there's nothing for me to believe that i don't either and i think also too i mean one i think he was 
you know, sleeping around throughout their entire relationship, but also to the other side of that, I think Carol had a very progressive, I guess you could say, attitude about sex. We don't know their private lives. That's the one yeah. thing I, it was funny, like, I think when I, was, when I was writing about John Garfield in my first book, you know, his, you know, his daughter was even like, you know, my dad slept around a lot. And I was like, oh, I said, I said, no offense, but I'm really not going to talk about that because it's just not that interesting to me. Because yeah. everybody has, like, it's not a big shocker. And also, we don't know what their agreement, you know, was. Exactly. John Garfield had an agreement with his wife like people like we don't know what the yeah. relationship was like. so yeah and there's and so for me it's kind of, that's always been like the least interesting thing for me mm -hmm. because that for me there's just so many more interesting things about carol lombard and even like her war mm -hmm. the stuff of her war the last war bond tour when i watched the video of her with the v for victory i mean i just get chills i just it gives me chills yeah. And that's why I find the fascination with Gable frustrating because I think that does overshadow all of that really incredible work that she was doing on the war because it, the tragic um, element of you know her death and his reaction to that infuses into that story of her selflessness and her patriotism. And I think we need to sort of shift our focus back onto all the incredible things that she did. Yeah, she was so... This was like, I mean, my memory could be wrong. See, Pearl Harbor, the end of 41. So yeah, she's probably mm -hmm. the, first, the first one out there. She's, made, yeah. she's making, I remember at the time, I remember reading something, she raised so much money within a few minutes, like 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it was like, yeah. Million, I forget what that is today. Two million, yeah. But that's not, that's two million back then. That's like exactly. zillions and zillions of dollars today to be able to do that. And this was also a war that, as shocking as it may seem to people today, was not that hot. Like people... You know, people like they just like they didn't want to get you know blood, they didn't want to get involved or whatever. Yeah. And you know, Pearl Harbor just happened. People are still having their crazy rallies, you know, to not get involved. And she's out there. She's mm -hmm. being political and patriotic, and she's doing all this stuff. And probably the best, one of the greatest moments of my life was getting to fly to Chicago to have lunch and speak to Myron H. Davis, who was the life, the photographer for Life Magazine, mm -hmm. who took the photos of her and was there with her at the end and. You know, I'm such a nerdy little teenager. <laughs> I have my little tape recorder, and I'm in this in this dark, loud. It's literally like a dive bar or something. I don't know why he <laughs> took me to this place. This guy is like, he is so old, and we're talking. And he had photographed every single president mm -hmm. from FDR to Nixon at that point. And that day with Carol Lombard was something that he would never forget. It was mm -hmm. her vitality, her presence. You know, even down to, you know, her saying, oh, I'm going to take the choo-choo. I don't want to take the choo-choo train and stuff. Yeah. Play this. And I remember, you know, because I'm, I don't know why I asked this question, but it was, it's the only thing that I've kind of taken away from this whole, my whole interview with him. We talked about a lot of stuff, but I remember asking him, Myron, why did you take any color pictures of Carol Lombard? I was <laughs> color. And he looked at me and he said, Carla, when you want to tell the truth, you do it in black and white. And it was like, earth so good. <laughs> it was like, wow, my mind's been blown. And it's like, that's I so true though. A lot because there's a lot of just, these, you know, color distracts a lot. There's a lot yeah. of saturation. There's a lot of, you know, elements. And when you see it's really stripped to the, to the, to the bone, like that's the mm -hmm. truth right there, that black and white. And so those, you know, those images mm -hmm. of her there being with people and being of service, I think yeah. that it was, it was a tragic, it was a real tragic end for her. It was, it's so mm -hmm. tragic, but I, I, I'm glad that she 
she was doing what she loved and that was giving mm -hmm. back and being of service. And she was someone who her entire career was just so generous. I know, yeah. you know, give, uh, I'm trying to remember what's his name. You probably remember the name because you're more in touch with the camera, the photographer. Ed Tetzlaff. She required him on all of his, on all of yeah. his films. Yeah. She's very loyal. She would help, you know, help people and if they would get injured or hurt, she would send gifts to them. She would, yeah. you know, about her and Fieldsy, her, uh, um, who was her best friend assistant when it, her Christmas, her Christmas process was insane. She bought all these gifts for people. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think Fieldsy called her the little champion of the downtrodden. And I, I know she meant that sort of jokingly, but it's true that Carol just had this generous spirit about her. And I think that's going to Indiana and selling those war bonds. It's, I think it was, she was tired. Of course it was a, a big trip, but it was seemed very fulfilling for her. Yeah, and she loved, I know people, people today always say, oh, you know, the stars are too political. It's like, motherfuckers, stars have always been political. Oh, yeah. And back then, you know, she loved FDR. And FDR was not uh -huh. that popular with a lot of film folks because, yeah. you know, he, the taxes were high. And I, you know, I remember she released a statement. I'm sure you've, you've seen it. When she said, <laughs> I love, she, I want to pay more, basically. <laughs> I get 50% of my taxes, but I don't see it as paying my money to the government. I see it as investing into our roads, into our yeah. schools, into our systems, into the community. And it's mm -hmm. nobody else was saying that, you know, people yeah. like, you know, you know, I know they would joke about her and Robert Montgomery during Mr. and Mrs. Smith, <laughs> not like FDR and people, it's hard for people, you know, at the time it's, you know, as a historian, obviously FDR was someone who, you know, made a couple of, you know, mistakes as all presidents do the stuff, you know, Japanese internment camps was absolutely horrible and stuff, but I don't think people realize this, that his presidency, like single-handedly him and his policy saved the, the fucking nation. Like the mm -hmm. stuff that he did, people were starving. People were dying. Like people, like it was so bad. Mm -hmm. And he put like some of the safety nets and stuff that he put in were, although drastic at, at the time were necessary and vital. And it, mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what would have happened without, without that. And she was someone who believed yeah. that as well. She was fully, fully behind that. Clark Gable was, was not, again, I was like, what do they have to they was like, what did they talk about? <laughs> right. He was, you know, the guy had dentures. Like, come on, Carol, what's going on? But, you know, she was very political, very, um, very politically active in the sense that she wanted mm -hmm. to help other people. And she believed yeah. the stuff that we are and the taxes. I mean, that that was huge. I remember when I saw that, I was, mm -hmm. I, I, I hadn't seen anything, you know, like that. No, you know? for a star yeah. to be that outspoken when she didn't have to be, it was, it's pretty incredible. And it, but it does speak to her character, though. Yeah, very, just very vibrant, very generous. And it's, it's really, it, it's awesome. I feel like I always want to see more Carol Lombards in movies today. There's not yeah. a lot. I remember when Miss Congeniality came out. I was so excited mm. because for me, Sandy was like, this was like, like our, like my version, like this is my generation's like Carol Lombard moment. Like she was the yeah. funny one. She was the one who was doing all the funny stuff. She was yeah. hilarious. You know, she was badass she was cool and it's, i love i love i'd love to see more and more she doesn't take herself too seriously either and that's sort of like that that quality that you don't see very often and i think that's what makes carol so special yeah it's a real she deserves to be more remembered i will say when i wrote my book forgotten stars and stories i know everyone was like oh are you gonna put carol lombard in even my editor was like you're not gonna put carol lombard in and I, <laughs> at the time i said no 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 she's not She's not forgotten enough, I feel. Like mm. and now looking back at the time, I think maybe I just didn't want to like concede <laughs> to myself that she was forgotten. I wasn't there yet. Like I just didn't <laughs> I you know, I, yeah. I, I just didn't want to put her in the book because I felt like she wasn't in, in my 
my deep heart, I felt that she wasn't forgotten enough. I felt that, but I think more people know who Jean, maybe more people know who Jean Harlow is than, than, than yeah. Carol. Carol is someone who deserves to be remembered more for all of her, you know, accomplishments in the film industry. Some of which, you know, I don't know how many years since her death and we're, do we still have a way to go before, you know, we'll ever see anything like that again. I know it's kind of probably ironic for me to say this on a Screwball Comedy podcast, but I think what I try to do in my work is focus on other aspects of Carol. You know, she was a Screwball comedian, but she was also so much more than that. She had such complexity in her professional life. And I think it's to focus on those well-rounded qualities about her, I think is, is really important. And that's, I guess, a lot of what motivates me to do what I do. And I love that. I love that you're always keeping Carol's history alive and accurate. And I just thought of a question I have to ask you because I saw on your post about the bowling shirt. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. I feel about it. I was, I was just, I go on eBay like daily, basically. Just me to too. Like, I, it's my sport. It's my yeah, sport. Exactly. You get it. So I saw and I thought, what is this? And then I looked it up and it's she had a bowling team along with a lot of other uh, stars from the 30s I guess bowling was very popular in the 30s and her team was called Carol Lombard's Rover Boys so I don't know who Harold is that for those of you listening who don't follow me on Instagram um, I got this shirt from Carol Lombard's bowling team it's iconic and, it, and legendary my jaw dropped <laughs> it's uh, from someone named Harold so I don't know who Harold is I've ne I can't find like a list of teammates but I mean what's his face I just because you know I knew about the book because I saw it and I was like holy shit that's the bowling league because one of the people that I interviewed no they had talked about the bowling like the bowling mm -hmm. league that she had but I didn't yeah. know maybe they had mentioned it was the Rover was I don't remember I don't remember that but as soon as I saw when mm -hmm. you posted I was like the bowling Instantly. I just yeah. saw Carol, I was like, it's the bowling league. Oh my God. Yeah. So, I've, I've had three people say to me, you know, Harold Lloyd. And I, I mean, I know he was an avid bowler, but I don't think he would necessarily be on her team, but I mean, it could be. And you message the, sellers, message the seller and ask. I should. Yeah. Did they send you, idea. you have the item already, right? Yeah, yeah I have it. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I've, it's kind of crazy because for this next book that I'm doing, as I told you, I've had to become the archive for this book. So I buy Every, like everything on eBay because this is stuff that libraries and archives have not, this is not their priority. This is stuff that would wind up in the garbage. But yeah. you know, on several occasions I've had sellers say, why would you even want to buy this? And I would have to explain to them, but by communicating with some of them, actually, I've actually gotten other stuff. But the thing with the bowl, yeah, that's an incredible um, piece of history. Uh, one thing that happened to me when I was, I was in San Francisco at this shop and I saw a poster mm -hmm. for a film called A Perfect Crime. <gasps> and it was an original what carol wasn't i don't think carol was on the, the poster though it was on oh. the poster so i oh calmly went up you know i'm a teenager but i'm not stupid and i was like how much is that one I said 50 bucks or something and i said oh 50 <sighs> okay i guess i'll buy it <laughs> he gives he rolls it up to me and he gives it to me and before i enough paid him and as i leave he says out of curiosity that's like the question of my life out of curiosity why would you want this <laughs> yeah and i said well did you ever hear of a movie star called Carol Lumber? The guy who was like, Carol Lumber, oh, she married married Clark Gable, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, this was her very first movie that she was, and you could see his face being like, ah! Like, you know, I months. regret this sale. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, I walked off, and at the time I had a boyfriend who was, you know, it was terrible, and I, I had, it was a very bad situation. I had to leave, and 
you know, he later brought my stuff to like my parents' house or something. And I, and I think he told my mom, he was like, I'm bringing everything, but I'm keeping the one thing that I know it's most important to her. That's that poster. Oh my God. So if you're listening out there, I like, screw you. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. That's all behavior. Oh my god! I hope he preserved it in in a dark corner at least, but <laughs> I hope I so. Would have taught him, but not like shredded yeah. or something. But that was like a very yeah. eBay is the place. I I've spent mm-hmm. so much like money on things. I I know. I remember at one point being young and you know complaining to my parents, being like, I don't have like any money to buy clothes. My parents were like, it's because you spend it all on that dead chick. <laughs> like, <you're laughs> stop buying photos. Stop buying all these like documents. Stop buying all these things. And it's like. Oh, yeah. I have to and now it's yep. like the, the, my dad's like I can't believe you're spending this much money on it but when I go on eBay now I'm like Whew. to wrap up um, if you could recommend one Carol Lombard movie to a newcomer who doesn't really know her that well what would it be and why 20, 20th Century Fox because just start at the beginning of Carol Lombard that's where it all began 20th Century mm-hmm. then go to My Man Godfrey then go to Nothing Sacred then go to To Be or Not To Be then put our hands across the table and keep going down from there <laughs> Just go through them all. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't go wrong. Don't. But don't go to the beginning of her career. Because some people, I like to, unless you're really like committed, like go. It's 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 remarkable to watch her from the beginning. It's not mm-hmm. this. It's not like, you know, I was watching Doris Day and Romance in the High Seas, and that's her first movie, and she's epic and she's amazing. Not the case for Carol Lombard, my friends. Yeah. No, it's a uh, it's a little rough going at first. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Carla, for joining me. I so appreciate it. Oh, anytime. I'll talk Carol with you anytime. That will do it for this episode and this first season of The Screwball Story. I want to thank you all again for listening every week. And as always, Please follow me on Instagram or Twitter at The Screwball Story for more information on Season 2, which will be coming soon. Until then, bye bye